This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Have you noticed there is a, there's kind of a pattern, uh, there's this formula at, in, in late night talk shows. And it goes all the way back to Johnny Carson and, and whoever else. But when they have a celebrity on a late night talk show, have you noticed that there's kind of this formula for how they interview them? It's not exactly a hard hitting interview with difficult questions. Like, the talk show host's job is to make that celebrity look good, right? And uh, so when they, they ask him easy questions to answer, they help him tell funny stories about their lives. And the host needs to make them look like their lives are happy and stable and put together. And their personal relationships always seem healthy and happy. Their families are well adjusted. Their careers are going great. They've found this new direction and purpose like never before. They're at peace. They're excited about the future. Oh, and also here's a hilarious story about something that happened to them recently. And, you know, that, that story, if, if that thing had happened to you and me, we might tell one of our friends about it and that would be it. But since they're a celebrity, these are celebrities, right? So it's 20 times funnier and, and more meaningful and, and it really makes you think too, you know. And besides, the roots are over there to emphasize the funny parts of the story with cool music. And so their stories sound a lot better than ours do, right? But, but the celebrity, they, they always talk about things like, you know, I've really found myself and I'm comfortable in my own skin and I'm doing what I was made to do. And when that formula breaks down, it's not great. You hear, you, you see like a, one of those gossipy headlines about a celebrity who had a meltdown on a talk show. And usually what that means is they were just too honest about how their lives aren't great. You know, and that, that's, that's mostly it. But something else odd that I notice about this is there's this pattern where that celebrity that got interviewed, you see that same celebrity maybe three years later on the same talk show with the same host. And this time they talk about how they're in a new relationship now and it's going really great. And the one that they were all excited about in that previous interview just wasn't right for who I really am, you know, and And now they've found a new direction in life, which is so much better than that direction that they loved before, because that old direction, you know, that wasn't who I was. But now they have really, really found themselves, and they're doing what they were really, really born to do, and everybody claps and has a few chuckles, and then the roots play it into a commercial break. I'm not slamming Jimmy Fallon. I know some of you find him endlessly annoying. I I think he's great. I I love his show. Um, That's not my point here. But finding myself, finding yourself, that's something you hear people talk about. And whether or not they talk about it, people spend a huge amount of their lives trying to do that, find themselves. Search for purpose and identity. We spend a lot of our lives trying to find that. And some some people call it that. They say, you know, I'm searching for who I am, searching for my purpose, my identity. But a lot of people, they they don't realize that's what they're looking for. They know they're searching for something, but don't realize that's what they're looking for. They just, you know, live this aimless life. They try new thing after new thing and they're never satisfied. Or they just stay stuck in a miserable life because they're convinced that's all they deserve and that's all they're ever going to get. And there's this hurt and there's this pain there. And the difference is that, that most of us aren't wealthy celebrities. So while we're trying to find ourselves it's a lot less pretty than, than theirs. You know, it, we don't have a cool band to, to play us a soundtrack for our messy lives. And finding yourself with the kind of money that most of us have looks more like just being lost. Uh, we hate, we, we get a job that we hate or 
seems like our relationships are always on the rocks and we try really hard to look like put together people, but we don't have Jimmy Fallon to make us look good and the audience doesn't laugh and applaud. And in an attempt to find fulfillment, to find what we were made to do, who we were made to be, we make a lot of selfish decisions and sometimes we end up hurting the people around us because we're trying to be who we are, find who we are. And our search for identity and purpose becomes this constant and fruitless search. Or again, we just give up and conclude we weren't made to have any identity or made to have any purpose, and so we just settle for misery. And there's a pain that comes from this. There's a pain that comes from a lack of identity and a lack of purpose. We hurt. And sometimes we know where that hurt's coming from. I don't have a purpose, so I'm hurting. But a lot of time we, we can't identify it. It's just that there's a hurt there that we can't put our finger on. It's a hurt we don't understand. We think it might be caused by any number of other things. So like, like all hurts, you know, that whether the hurt comes from trauma or, or whatever, like all hurts, we blame it on other things or other people. And there's a drive to make the hurt stop. And so we go for distractions. We try to distract ourselves from the hurt, anything that, that mutes the hurt temporarily. And so that, that's what gives real power to addictions. Um, during the uh, pandemic, uh, I, I talked to a lot of guys um, about addictions and, and things like that. And, and I've, I've got my own, you know, addictions that I've struggled with in my past. And, and during the pandemic, like, it seems like hurt is amplified and addictions have more power to try to come back on us than, than they do in, in normal times. Um, I've, I've talked to guys that are saying, you know, this addiction really is, I'm really struggling like I haven't in a long time. Um, not that they've all, you know, failed or, or fallen to it, but, but it's really common to right now, people who struggle with addictions, it's, it's more powerful than it has been. And so anytime we, we, we distract ourselves with make things that make the hurt go away for a while, addictions get more power. Uh, we, we go for unhealthy relationships. We distract ourselves with activity or just noise. Um, we, we have this drive for more stuff. You know, more stuff will make the hurt go away. More experiences, and especially like experiences that make us look impressive to other people, like experiences that look good on Instagram. Have you guys heard of this crazy thing? It's called an Instagram husband. You know what that is? Some of you are like, okay, well, I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to explain it because you won't understand it even after I explain it. But uh, there's this phenomenon where there's an Instagram husband is a husband who never appears on his wife's Instagram stream of photos because he's always the one taking the pictures. Um, and a really good Instagram husband knows how to get the lighting right and the angle right and the framing right of the photo so that the wife will look good. And it, it's an actual cultural phenomenon that's going on right now. You, you might not believe it, but it's true. Uh, it, Google it. Instagram husband. Actually, don't because it's a waste of time. But uh, we, we, we think that if our lives can look better to those around us, like, Maybe that'll make the hurt go away. Maybe, you know, if, we, if our lives look better to those around us and they tell us, man, I wish I had your life, then maybe we can feel better about our lives. And obviously, you never put the pictures on Instagram of when you like fell over and your hair was all wacky and the, the kids smeared like jello on you, right? And so we, we, we try to fool ourselves into thinking that our lives, we, we go for all these distractions, all these things that make the mute the hurt for a little bit. And, and we do this no matter where the hurt comes from, but one of the sources of this is this constant 
fruitless search for identity and purpose. And it's a significant hurt, just as real as the hurts of abuse or neglect or rejection or betrayal or other trauma. And some people who are caught in this search for identity and purpose, this fruitless search for identity and purpose, some of these people are even Christians, or at least they would, they would call themselves Christians. Um, they believe in God, which is good, right? <laughs> uh, do you know what James said about those who believe in God? He says, you believe in God? Good. So do the demons, right? So <laughs> if you believe in God, great, but so do demons. Uh, but they pray. Again, that's good, right? Uh, they... You know, maybe they want to avoid hell and gain heaven. That's great. It's a good idea. They think living a life with Christian values seems like a good way to be a good American, a good citizen, a good neighbor. That's also not a bad idea. But for so many Christians in the Bible Belt, the middle class, kind of evangelical Midwestern America, our faith is just one compartment of our lives that we kind of take out on Sundays. Or we take out whenever we're in trouble, we need help. Or we take out that Christian compartment of our lives when we need to win at sports. Um, And and I think the the athlete's favorite verse, uh, for those those athletes who have compartmentalized their lives and they take out their Christianity before a game or a a track meet or whatever, the, the athlete's favorite verse is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And they think that means I can set the scoring record or whatever. But if you look at that verse in context... Paul, when he wrote that verse, he had just written this whole, like several paragraphs about suffering, about really terrible times in his life. And he says, I can do all this. He's like being beaten not half to death. I can do all this through Christ who gives me the strength. And so athletes, that's not about a scoring record. That verse only belongs to the cross country runners because it's about suffering. It's about suffering and being able to go through it through the power of Christ who strengthens you. Did you know that cross country, uh, it's a very holy sport because uh, cross country, that comes from two Greek words, kra, which means suffering, and scuntry, which means without purpose. Suffering without purpose. (laughs) Do you know that, Kenley? It's holy. That's a total lie. I just made that up. Don't go quote that. Um, Yeah. Katie, you knew that. I've told you that before. So, um, but, but yeah, that, we, we take out this Christian compartment of our lives when we need help, when we're in trouble, or, or, or when, when we need to win at sports or whatever. And it, because there's a cultural acceptance of Christianity here, and, and thank God for that, right? Like When you came to church this morning, you probably didn't have to think twice about whether somebody was going to come by and firebomb our service today, right? Thank the Lord. That's, that's a huge blessing. You realize there's more people dying for being Christians in the world today than there was in the first century under Roman rule when people were dying in the arena? More dying now, right now, today, for being Christians in the world than were back then. And because we have this cultural that, culture that accepts Christianity, we don't have to fear that, and that's a huge blessing. Thank the Lord for that. But there's a tendency for us to absorb the culture of Christianity, the morals, the values, which are good, without a commitment, without a surrender of ourselves to Jesus, without the relationship, the, the decision to love Jesus forever. Um, and, and these people uh, who I would say maybe are the, the ones who've kind of absorbed the culture of Christianity that would call themselves Christians, they play the same game of finding myself that the rest of the world plays And if a career or relationship or the place they live isn't working out, they burn the bridges, they start over, 
And sometimes people around them get hurt. They hurt themselves. You'll see people in these situations say things like, we know I I just have to find who I am. I have to live bravely. This is who I am. Um, I, I, I don't need anyone else's approval. I'm living true to myself. Or even they'll be more blunt and they'll say, this is who I am. If you can't handle me, back off. Keep your name out. Keep my name out your mouth. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's claiming that they're just being true to themselves when what it really is, is just this cycle of hurt and then abandoning our path, trying a new one, because obviously that one wasn't working and you hurt yourself and you hurt people around you. And the search for identity and purpose keeps coming up empty. Or some of us don't make big changes all the time, don't cut people out of our lives, but maybe we just kind of plug away in misery because we're convinced, like I said before, we don't deserve to have anything but a miserable life. I realize, isn't this sermon been a lot of fun so far? Uh, Talking about a lot of really encouraging stuff, right? But, so this next statement might seem a bit surprising, but Did you know this pursuit of purpose and identity that I've been talking about is something God made you with, and it's holy. A pursuit of purpose and identity. He made you to find your identity and your purpose, and it's a really good thing. It's a blessing that he made us to desire this. Did you know that you can find this? You can find your identity and purpose? Let's go to Romans 12. That's where we're going to be the rest of our time together. Romans 12 And uh, we'll pull in some other verses too, but mostly just there in in that chapter of Romans. Romans 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Before this verse, Paul has been talking about Jesus' incredible mercy in coming to give himself for us and raise us to new life. So in view of God's mercy, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We give ourselves completely, completely, completely to Jesus, a sacrifice. It says offer your bodies, but it means your whole self, body, mind, heart, soul, all of you completely, your entire being given completely, completely, completely to God. Now, a sacrifice, a sacrifice is something that you give and there's no take backs. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice, we were talking about an animal that was slaughtered, cut into pieces and burnt. You couldn't ask for it back when you're done. And Paul is calling us to completely, completely, completely surrender ourselves to Jesus. We love and trust Jesus so much we make a free will decision to lose ourselves completely in him. And we say, Jesus, I don't understand how all this is going to work. I don't know what it's all going to look like for the rest of my life, but I'm in. I give myself to you. I will do whatever you want me to do. You know, I, I give myself to you completely. My sins, my scars, mistakes, all of it, it's yours. I'm yours completely. And Jesus is calling you to make the decision to become a living sacrifice. He's calling you to come to the point where you can honestly say to him, Jesus, I will do whatever you want me to do. And whoever you want me to be, I'll be that person. And for the next hour, in the next day, this week, 
anywhere and everywhere forever, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm a living sacrifice. No take backs. I'm in. I'm ask you a question right here while we're still sitting here before we even leave. Will you make that decision right now? I'm not even done preaching yet, but I'm asking you right now. Will you tell him honestly? Will you make that decision? Seriously, do you surrender completely to Jesus? Will you do whatever he wants you to do no matter what? You make that decision, do you? Right now, do you? For some of us, as soon as I ask that question, maybe there's some objections that start to rise up in us, if we're honest. There's so many things we want to do and experience and we're worried about missing out. So many things we want to have, maybe. Maybe you say, yeah, I want to be a good Christian, but check this out, Jim. What if I, like, if I, like, establish a firm financial footing for my family first, then I could give more, right, to God's kingdom, and that would be better. And there's, I mean, yes, we need people that will give, absolutely. We need people who, are, who will earn a lot and give a lot, and that's great. But if that's what rises in your mind immediately, as soon as I say, will you do whatever Jesus wants you to do? If you immediately think, well, yeah, but what if, well, then maybe that's the thing Jesus wants you to surrender right now. And for some of you, you know already, you have a pretty good idea already of what he's asking you to surrender. So it's already been on your heart. But will you do whatever he wants you to do, whatever he wants you to be? And those things that rise up and, and you think, well, yeah, but if I do that, then fill in the blank. Listen, in Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He says, come to me, lose yourself in me. But when you lose yourself in Jesus, what did that say? What do you get in return? You find your life. Lose yourself in Jesus and you find yourself like never before. Let's pick up in Romans 12 again. Remember verse 1 said, give yourself completely as a living sacrifice. Verse 2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you become a living sacrifice. You're so completely in love with Jesus that you lose yourself in Him, and this makes you transformed. It changes you. renews your thinking. renews your mind, uh, which, which, which makes you renewed and restored. And here's the hugely important thing you can't miss. You're able to know God's perfect will for you. You become more truly yourself than you have ever been. When you lose yourself in Jesus, you find yourself like you never have before because you become who he made you to be in the first place. The person you truly are, who he made you to be, was messed up by our sin nature. You know, when Adam sinned in the garden... Our, our true selves were messed up. We, we're, we got this sin nature instead of the true nature he made us to have. And so the way to find yourself for real is to lose yourself in Jesus. He says, lose your life, you'll find it in me. Lose your direction that you had planned out for yourself and you find the true direction you were meant to have for the first time. And see, so you say, you know, he, he's calling you 
to do this, to, to find yourself in him. And then uh, verse, uh, uh, let, let's look at, sorry, Romans 12, verse 4. For as, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. When we surrender, when we become living sacrifices, when we lose ourselves in Jesus, he has a place for each of us in his body. You were made to be a part of something so much bigger than just yourself. And it's the only thing that truly matters and truly lasts beyond this life that we live here. So let me ask you again, do you surrender today? Do you surrender completely to Jesus? Will you do whatever he wants you to do, no matter what? Do you surrender? For lots of us, there's another big objection that comes up when we think about this kind of surrender, if we're honest. We think about something, we say, yes, I will do whatever he wants me to do, but man, I really hope it isn't that. And I've told you about some of those in my life before. I thought God wanted me to marry this girl I went to college with, even though she uh, was like a foot taller than me and scared me. Um, Just because she was in all my classes and uh, was like a committed Christian, I thought, oh man, God wants me to marry that girl. Thank the Lord he didn't. But for some of us, we think, you know, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. But man, I really hope it isn't that. Whatever it is. Like maybe if I, if I do whatever he wants me to do, isn't he going to make me go to Africa and run an orphanage and like get the Ebola virus and have a horrible death? And like, or, or, or isn't God going to make me like give all my time just like picking up litter and helping little old ladies across the street uh, or, you know, serving in soup kitchens 80 hours a week or whatever it is. Like we think, yes, I'll do whatever. But man, I really hope it isn't that. You know what I've noticed? First of all, there, there are almost zero little old ladies who need help across the street, right? Most of them can get across the street on their own. The rest of them have enough sense to know which side of the street they want to be on in the first place, right? But, like, some of you may be called to go to Africa and start an orphanage. I don't know. If you are, you probably already have a pretty good idea that maybe God's calling you that direction. But for the rest of us, man, I look across this room, and I'm sorry, I'm just calling it like I see it. A lot of you here would really stink at running an African orphanage, okay? God's not calling you to that. You're pretty good at maybe what he's, what he's placed you in already, but, or, or maybe he's calling you to something new that you know he's made you to do. And, you know. But as far as an African orphanage, many of you in this room would really stink at running one of those, okay? And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be harsh. It's just how it is. Um, the role that Jesus has for you, he made you specifically to fulfill. Listen to what he told his disciples in Matthew 11. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. And what's a yoke? It's, it's the work that he's given you. His yoke, his, the load that you're meant to pull. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
He made a purpose for you that will fit you. And He knows you need rest. And I don't want to give any of us too easy an excuse because sometimes the the work that He gives you to do, man, it's scary. It looks impossible. But the thing is, it's His power working in you. When you're doing the work that He's made you to do, it's His Spirit working in you. And He lifts the load with you and His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Not because it's easy to do, but because His power working in you equips you for what He's made you to do. And He knows you need rest. He knows you need to, to be restored. He knows there are days... And listen to this. I had a professor in college tell me this, and I search the Scripture, and I don't, I don't find anything against it, so I'm holding on to it. One of my profs in college told me, some days the most holy thing you can do is take a nap. And I love that. I, I mean, there's no Bible verse that says that, but like, I think that might be true. Because Jesus knows you need restoration. He knows you need, he knows you need to be restored sometimes. And if you surrender completely to Him, you'll be amazed at how many times He restores your soul in unexpected ways in the middle of your completely surrendered service to Him. You don't, I, I don't have time to tell you all the stories, but He restores your soul when you're completely surrendered to Him. He, even your recreation becomes recreation of you instead of just a distraction that mutes that pain for a while, Right? Like when, when we go on vacation, sometimes it's, a, it's trying to distract ourselves to mute, to mute the pain. But when you, when you surrender completely to Him, man, your, your hobbies, your vacation time, your, your recreation becomes Him recreating and restoring your soul. I've told you this before, but one of my favorite things to do is go backpacking where I'm out away from the roads for a week or two at a time. And, and when, I, when I do that, I try... Every morning when I start walking, I I said, Jesus, would you walk this trail with me? And I started doing this years ago. I don't remember why, what gave me the idea, but uh, it was a really powerful thing where I I could be like hauling this really tough trail up a really steep mountain and my entire body just be in pain. But I was having like this awesome time of prayer and just fellowship with Jesus and he's walking beside me and it was all this profoundly beautiful and different thing. And that, that can happen in your recreation, but that the really profoundly powerful thing is that you invite him into all of your life and he restores your soul even in the middle of your work, even when it hurts like deeper than just physical hurt. Like he can restore your soul. There can be restoration. His yoke is easy. His burden is light because he's walking beside you. He's carrying the load with you. And some of you, some of you, he made you to, to do different things. Some of you, he made you to be you know, alignment or work on cars or work in an office, work in sales, whatever. He made some of you to farm and build and teach and code and create and, and, and be good parents and, and family members. But when we lose ourselves in him, it's all different because Jesus walks beside us in all those things and they all become holy. So I challenge you tomorrow when you start your work or whatever you're doing tomorrow, working around the house or whatever, pause for a second and say, Jesus, walk into my workplace with me today. Jesus, walk with me into my kid's room today. Walk with me, ride with me on this road trip today, Jesus. Whatever you're doing tomorrow, did you know he loves to answer that prayer? He's with you. 
And yes, he's with you because he's everywhere all the time. He's always everywhere, right? But your consciousness of his presence is a really beautiful thing that you know he's with you. He's walking beside you and everything changes. And your every day becomes more holy because you recognize that he's with you. He's with you. And make no mistake, when you're surrendered to him, your life is going to look very different. It's not just that we go ahead and do our own thing and say, Jesus, would you put your stamp of approval on this and, and be with me and all this. Like your life will change. It'll look very different. You're not going to be able to do some of the things that you did before. You're not going to be able to fight with people on Facebook like you did before. You're not going to be able to uh, do all, uh, uh, I mean, fill in the blank with whatever, whatever you have trouble with. Because a surrendered life looks very different. Did you know Jesus called us to love our enemies? You guys knew that, right? The person that you can think of who is the biggest jerk in your life, don't point at anybody, that'd get awkward real quick. (laughs) That person, the biggest jerk in your life, Jesus has called you to love that person. But the good thing is his yoke is easy, his burden is light, he carries that load with you, he fills you and allows you, helps you to love that person. But a life surrendered to him, it looks very different. Uh, And you should read the rest of Romans 12 before you go to bed tonight, but verses 9 and then 21 kind of bookend the rest of it. Uh, Verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what's good. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A life surrendered to Jesus looks different. It stands up against evil and makes a difference. It shows love instead of fighting. None of that is possible without the surrender, without living sacrifice. Real quick as we close, three groups of people I want to talk to specifically here. First, I know some of you, you've really been trying to live completely surrendered to Jesus. You've really been given that your best shot. But you'd say, You know, Jim, that identity, that purpose that you talk about, that really hasn't come yet for me. You know, maybe you'd even say, I even feel more lost than those talk show guests you talk about. If that's you, I want to tell you, God has not forgotten about his plan for you. He hasn't. Sometimes there's a time of waiting. And in that time, sometimes he's using the stuff we're going through now to prepare us for what's ahead. But in that time of waiting, even in that, don't just give up and give in to the lie that you'll never find purpose. Don't just give in to all the distractions and addictions and all that stuff to make that pain go away. Even in the time of waiting, find His purpose for that day, even that hour. Find His purpose for the rest of today. Find that. Ask Him what His purpose is for you this afternoon. For real, do that. Ask Him. God, what do you want me to do this afternoon? I already asked him because I knew I'd be talking about this. You know what he told me? I'm taking a nap this afternoon. Amen. But I don't know what he's calling you to do this afternoon. Maybe you're supposed to take a nap too, but don't just do it because I am. Find the purpose. If you haven't found this identity and purpose, like big picture thing, find what it is just for the, the next little chunk of time that you've got coming up next. Ask him what his purpose is. Tomorrow morning, before you start anything else, before you even check your phone, ask him what his purpose is for you tomorrow. 
And those objections will come up, right? That are mentioned, the Africa thing or whatever, or, or serving in soup kitchens or whatever. Those objections will come up when you start thinking about that. But you've got to trust that He wants you to do what's best for His kingdom, which will ultimately be what's best for you. And again, I don't want to give us too easy an excuse because some of us will say, well, I know what's best for me. I'm going to go out and do what's best for me and that's going to be what's best for God's kingdom. Great. God, here's what's best for me. Rubber stamp this, please. And no, you've got to ask Him. You've got to be surrendered. You've got to be willing to give up whatever He asks you to give up. Or you've got to be willing to take on whatever He asks you to take on. But whatever His purpose is for you is what's best for His kingdom and that will be what's best for you. So yeah, some of us would say, I haven't found that purpose and identity yet. Others of us would say, I know God made me for His purposes, but man, I made mistakes. I sinned. I messed that up. Like I destroyed what God's plan was for me. I've messed it up and it's, you know, that would be great if I could find that. But the mistakes that I've made, the sins... That's all gone now. Maybe that's you. And if that's you, then yes, things will probably look different. But God has not given up on you and He has not forgotten you. Jesus' death paid for our sins, but His death also paid for the pain that your sins and your mistakes have caused. He doesn't just salvage a few bright spots out of your destroyed life. He's about restoring those who are broken. We sang about that earlier. You take our failure, you take our weakness. He restores broken lives. He can salvage even the darkness in your past to help His light shine brighter. And not so that your life looks like what other people think is an ideal life. The point isn't to impress those people. He leverages even your darkness so His light can shine brighter through you. Do you remember the story? We're not going to read it. But the story of the man that Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and there was, these weren't Jewish people, these were foreigners, and there was a man who was possessed by a lot of demons, maybe thousands of demons. He said, our name is Legion, for there's many of us here. It's a story where he casts the demons out of the guy, they go into the pigs, the pigs drown in the lake. Weird story. But this guy, it says, he lived in the tombs, Naked, crying out, cutting himself with stones. They tried to bind him with chains, but he'd smash the chains and get away. He'd hurt people. He might have killed people. If you think about it, I think this guy had the most destroyed life of anybody we hear about in the Scripture. And Jesus didn't just like get him under medication so they could chain him. Jesus set him free. Jesus didn't just salvage a little bit of light in that big dark dark life that this guy was living. Like he took the darkness and he flipped it, changed it around, set him free and ransomed. Even the darkness became a a source for him to shine the light brighter. And you know what happened to that guy? He was the first dude that Jesus told to go and tell everyone that the kingdom of God was here. The first. You think about Jesus. uh, There's this weird thing in Jesus' miracles where he would heal someone, raise someone. uh, and, And he would always tell them, don't tell anybody. He would say, don't, don't tell anybody who did this or whatever. Cause you know, there was the whole political power thing that they were looking for a Messiah and it. And whenever people didn't do what Jesus said and they said, Jesus healed me. Then he couldn't go into the cities anymore. He had to stay out in the wilderness because people would just mob him. 
And so he would always say, don't tell anybody. But this guy, this guy was the first one that he said, go tell everyone. The guy whose life was the most destroyed becomes the first, N.T. Wright calls him the first apostle to the Gentiles. That this guy whose life was destroyed had his whole life ransomed, redeemed, turned around, set on a new direction, and Jesus said, go tell everybody. If you want to read the rest of that story, it's in several of the Gospels. You can search for Legion in the back of your study Bible, or you can Google Jesus and Legion, and you'll come up with the story. Others of you would say, so those first two groups, those, those who would say, I haven't found that purpose yet. Those who would say, I've, I've destroyed that purpose by my mistakes and my sins and my messed up life. Okay, we, we've got those two. Now, this third group of people that would say, yes, I, I, I feel like I did. I found that purpose, that identity for my life. But as time has gone on, things have changed and, and it looks very different now. And I'm, I just can't serve like I used to. Maybe if that's you, you'd have to, maybe it's because you'd have to admit you're getting older. You can't serve like you did before and in the same ways you did before. But maybe there's circumstances in your family or your life have changed. Now you're taking care of other people instead of serving like you used to. Maybe you're the parent of a small child or several small kids and your life looks radically different from the way it looked several years ago because now your life is mostly about those kids. And hey, God's calling on your life can change forms lots of times as your life goes on. Things will look very different over the years of living a life lost in Jesus. But your life of caring for your kids or for your aging parents, maybe, is absolutely just as holy as a life lived serving on a mission field or something like that. Jesus walks beside you through that part of the journey just as much as he does when you're mentoring troubled kids or teaching Sunday school or whatever else his calling is on you. So I ask you again, do you surrender completely to Jesus? Wherever you are on your journey of faith, if, you don't even, if you'd have to be honest and say, Jim, I don't, even know, I don't even know if Jesus has forgiven my sins. I don't know if I would call myself a Christian. Then I'm inviting you not just to like, get out of hell free. I'm inviting you to say, Jesus, I surrender to you completely. If you've been a Christian for a while, I'm inviting you to the same thing. Jesus, I surrender to you. I will do whatever you want me to do. Do you surrender today completely? Will you become a living sacrifice? So completely in love with Jesus that you lose yourself in him so that you find yourself like never before and become who you were truly made to be? So that it makes possible a life of real selfless love that can forgive enemies and fight for good in a world drowning in evil? Do you surrender completely to Jesus? Let's stand together. Jesus, I pray that we would have the grace to surrender completely to you. And if there's somebody here that you're speaking to right now and you're asking them to make that decision of surrender, but they haven't, or if there's some area that we need to let go of or some area that we need to take a step up in, would you help us to know that plainly and clearly? God, would you give us the grace to surrender that we'd just say, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm yours. I'm in completely forever. Thank you, God, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and that you walk beside us in this journey. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.